Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, joined as always by my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are so glad that you're here. If you're new, don't let the name fool you. Um, We are very religious. This show is very religious, very Christian. Um, But it's more the nation and the world, I guess, as a whole that's becoming very secular, very religionless place. And that, at least in part, is where the name of the show comes from. Uh, So how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in a religionless world? That's what we're going to be trying to help you with today by looking at stories from the news, uh, the Christian world, trying to figure out how to make sense of it all and this craziness that we find ourselves in and do it all in a way that, you know, keeps us pleasing in God's sight best we can. Uh, So today on the show, we're going to be discussing young preachers. as well as an Oklahoma state senator's fight against porn, then five wars that Christians will be fighting in 2024, and then finally we'll end with our final Bible topic on sin. It's been a long road there discussing sin. We'll come to an end with that uh, today. So we have a lot to get to on the show before we get to everything. Is there anything you'd like to say, prayer requests, any praise reports, anything of that sort? Yeah, uh, well, I praise God for um, my brother's surgery um, and his recovering. He seems to be doing well. My mom's been in touch with me. He had Whipple surgery done. Um, If you don't know what that is, go look it up. It's really crazy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he seems to be doing okay. And his faith seems to be strong through it all. Um, so that's the praise to God that he's um, he has the joy of the Lord during this time. So it's great. Hopefully it's a good testimony. Uh, we have a lot of family um, that are not Christian, that are very more like pagan, actually, like practicing. So just... Pray that God would maybe use this, um, his faith as a testimony that they could, they could witness, um, you know, his good attitude and him praising God through all of it. Just, and he openly gives praise to God, gives credit to him uh, through all of it. You know, he trusts God. He doesn't worry about what, what happens to him. He knows where he's going. You know, he's assured of his salvation. So something, huh, Others don't have, and just think, who who wouldn't want that? <laughs> you know, that's yeah, just it's crazy, and it's good. Um, we're too comfortable in this com- country uh, most of the time, and we kind of need difficulty, um, you know, some pain that kind of reminds us <clears throat> of our place and our need on or need for God. So it's good, you know. We don't often get it in this lavish country in which we find ourselves in. So that's yeah. good. Um, I'll just mention, uh, things are going okay for me. So I thought, you know, as we've been kind of on a kick lately, let's be reminded, always reminded to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. And I saw this story, Vietnamese Christian sentenced to four and a half years in prison after holding prayer meeting in his home. And it says down here, uh, The Vietnamese government views the simple act of prayer as a direct threat to their power and legitimacy. Uh, 
as does every statist who's ever lived, even in our own nation. Uh, they view prayer, belief in God as a direct threat to their power mm-hmm. and legitimacy because they can't have any authority higher than the state. I mean, so that's they just, punish. yeah, that's just how our world is. People hate truth. Jesus is the truth. And I know talk about that a little later, but that's something we need to remember is the hatred of truth, that there is a moral standard. So yeah, people don't want to admit that they've sinned, they've done anything wrong. It's really putting yourself above God and his word. Yeah, but we need to pray for those folks. Um, You know, it's easy to forget about, you know, our brothers and sisters in faraway lands and um, you know, put it out of our mind, but we're called to pray for them like we're there with them, especially, again, in a nation so lavish and comfortable as ours. Um, definitely take time out today, tomorrow, and lift up the people that are really suffering, that their faith would be strengthened, they wouldn't lose heart or lose hope, um, and that God would rescue them. Pray for them. Vietnamese brothers and sisters. So, uh, and it made me think, as it always does when I see persecuted Christians, do you understand the dangers of sharing the gospel in Vietnam? I do not. (laughs) But Cardinal Contingency Solutions does, and they can help you understand that because these folks in Vietnam still need the gospel, um, but you don't have to go there unprepared. Cardinal can get you prepared. Links to Cardinal will be down in the show notes. Go check them out, and then go share the gospel in Vietnam because they need it. So, all right. Um, Oh, and otherwise, just a praise report, I will mention the podcast has been growing, and that's been a great blessing to us. Um, You know, it's funny, whenever we say something on here, you know, usually whenever you talk about Christian faith at all, there's somebody that's upset about it. Mm -hmm. And like the easiest way to just reject what you say, we don't get this a ton, but we've actually got it more probably recently, you know, a handful of times. They're like, glad your channel only has so many subscribers you know like it's an insult that we have a small channel (laughs) and uh somebody came out and was like i'm glad your channel only has like i can't remember what the number was you know 460 subscribers or whatever and it was funny because at the time you know we've been growing for our small channel pretty good and it was like you know 20 or so more subscribers since that comment that was just a couple days old i'm like 480 praise god and we're growing you know and like it's always just a quick insult your channel's small so what you say is small all right well sure um but god has been good to us so thank god for that um pray that the growth continues to come so we will jump into this thing get it going in the our look at the news and our discussion so this first story i know nikki and i even had a little bit of disagreement on just as we were kind of looking at the story so do you want to read the headline Let the young men preach. Yep. And let me read this. Yeah, this paragraph. It's an affirming experience for a young man to preach to God's people and hear an amen in response for the first time. It helps him see he can preach to a church and communicate the Bible well, pointing pointing God's people to Christ through the scriptures. He better be preaching at a church other than a good old Southern Baptist church. He'll hear the amens. You won't hear that there. I mean, they'll know. They'll know if it's good preaching or not. They have a good preacher themselves to compare him to. 
Yeah, we're just joking there. Uh, <laughs> but the article does go on uh, to speak about how getting opportunities to preach in front of a real church with real people, rather than like a seminary, for example, who, you know, those people might be, you know, theological eggheads, if you will. <clears throat> and that's a term I use lovingly. I'm hoping to be a theological egghead someday. <laughs> um, but that that experience of actually preaching in front of a, a real congregation, a real crowd, can be rewarding and instructive for young men. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I feel about this story. Uh, this was kind of the disagreement Nikki and I had. You know, when I read this, and again, maybe these are my own biases that I need to ask for forgiveness for, but our society just seems enamored with all things young. Like we have entire industries designed to make you look younger, feel younger, with the rise of like technology in our society it seems every industry is striving to get younger in a hopes of being like more cutting edge and even in the church i feel like we see this a lot and we see like you could do the the right thing for the wrong reasons so it doesn't mean that having young men learn to preach is wrong i guess it is the reason that they're encouraging them to do it should be well it doesn't have to be wrong but it certainly can be wrong <clears throat> um yeah you know we do have the first timothy qualifications of not being new to the faith and not, not that necessarily preaching means you're an elder right that qualification is an elder qualification um but if you're sort of disregarding that standard of looking for experienced well you know learned men to go and preach in favor of just being like more relatable. Um, so you're finding like more relatable men, but even in today, today's society, right? More relatable women you're finding to go and preach. And I think um, you do run the risk of finding yourself in some trouble there, I guess. And just, you know, and again, my own bias, you know, I think in the scriptures we're taught to like honor our elders. And I actually just saw a story. I tried to find it, but I couldn't where, it was another Christian website basically telling old men to like, get your boots back on. Now is not the time to retire with as mm -hmm. wicked as our world is. We need your experience, yeah. um, your faithfulness back in the church. So it's like, old men, get your boots back on. And like, but also get out of the way so these young men can get up there and preach. And you're like, um, you know, we're taught to uh, respect our elders, learn from them. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're also taught mm. that the word of God isn't something to be handled lightly. So again, I read a headline like this and kind of, hey, make some room for these young men to get up there and preach in front of the, the congregation. I'm like, Ugh, I get it. They need to learn, but also like the word of God should be handled sort of with some fear and trepidation, if you will, to make sure it's being handled rightly. People are being taught well, right. correctly. So what I think is... How I mean, I guess if our church did it, they would know that the person would be able to do it. They're not just going to let any young person who just wants to do it go up there and preach and not knowing what they're going to be teaching. I think that you can do it wisely. I mean, that seems very careless. It shows that you don't care much for the word of God or for the flock if the congregation sees you letting somebody go up there and preach that they might not even want to hear preach. Like, I think it's going to be something where the church is in agreement. And if they want to come, like what they, what the article went on to say is they would do it on like a, 
a Sunday evening where it's probably not as busy, but letting them know ahead of time, we're going to allow um, the young man to to preach. And it's likely going to be somebody everybody kind of knows is they're probably ready or else they're going to get a lot of people saying, no, he's not ready. I think if the church is unified in the truth, um, they would they would, you know, they would all be in agreement, I think. I guess if you're a solid church, it does depend on the church, I guess, how how it's going to go, if it's going to be a good or a bad thing. But I was just thinking of, they brought up Charles Spurgeon in the article, but I did read um, about his ministry, how he did help out a lot of new um, young preachers. Um, not that they were new to the faith, um, and that's not what they were saying in the article, like new to the faith people uh, meant to preach, but um, he would um, mail books just to help them, just to have some commentary, uh, just to help them be better at preaching. Um, so I just think that's along the same lines. You're making sure that they will be good at preaching, that they'll have an understanding um, and it won't be a negative thing. I just Yeah, I guess it just depends on how well you know and obviously, I'm sure the church is doing this due diligence to make sure that yeah. it's not just whoever feels like giving a message, let them get up there and give right. a message. I and just, I, when I read in this article, one of the head or one of the things that it said, if I can find it here, um, uh, it said, "Oh, geez, I'm gonna struggle to find it." Um, It said, I'll just read it. Just trust me that it's in there somewhere. You can go and find it. But it said, while the congregation may not be as aware of the preacher's interpretational accuracy, he learns to preach in the kind of environment he'll later minister in. And I think this is kind of what gave me cause or gave me pause there, hmm. thinking about young men preaching, you know, from a church, uh, from the pulpit. Oh, here it is. Of course, I found it as soon as I got done reading it. While the congregation may not be as aware of the preacher's interpretational accuracy, he learns to preach in the kind of environment he'll later uh, minister in. And um, it's like the idea of that we're giving the pulpit to people um, to preach to like a congregation that needs to hear the truth of the word, but we're not really sure of their capability to deliver the truth, um, which would give me great hesitancy, right? Like, so again, if you knew the person, well that you were like, you know, I've been mentoring you, discipling you. I trust that you are handling the word correctly. So now go and preach. That's one thing. And I'm, maybe that's what they're talking about. But if it's just like, you know, Johnny's got a desire to preach. So let's get him up there and see what he can do. Well, yeah. And I get yeah. Sunday night, you know, is probably <clears throat> where most people that show up to Sunday morning and Sunday night church, the Sunday night church folks are probably a little bit more dedicated to the word. You know, they probably are second service of the week kind of folks, right? So maybe it's not quite as detrimental to them because they may be more in tune if they hear something that's not accurate to be like, eh, you're yeah. kind of getting a little off there. Right, and they did say that they would be critiqued after. So they're going in not to hear an amen, but to be, they were to be critiqued afterward. Right, if that's the right kind of church and if that's the way your church is going to... So um, what they were you know, putting out there is a good thing. 
They're explaining it how to do this wisely. That's why I agree with it. I'm just not sure that the church pulpit is the best place to get experience. Um, I know at some point you have to get up there and everybody has growth and maturity that they need to sort of, you can only get on the job. I get that. Um, but I'm just not sure that the pulpit is the best place to like start out. Like, I don't think they were meaning starting out. Like I didn't look at it that way. I think. Oh, so maybe we just looked at it differently. I think maybe you're looking at it that way. They probably are a person who they think is ready. They've had a little experience. And that could be the case. Maybe this isn't a brand new kind of young man getting his feet wet. Because like when I read it, I was like, not the best place, you know, jail ministries, hospitals, maybe schools. Like that's a good place to figure out and get your feet under you standing in front of a large crowd. I don't know why it's different if it's a pulpit versus something else, because you're still preaching the word of God to believers. Like, what, is, what, what does it matter where the church is gathering? If it's a pulpit or you're in a, a jail ministry, you're, it's, it's who is receiving it that matters, not like well, the location. I think it does matter. I mean, the church has to be the place where people go to find the truth. Um, where, you know, a jail ministry, sure, you want them to find the truth. But I mean, I guess at some point you have to learn somewhere. So like, what do you hold in the highest esteem and the most important, which would be the pulpit, you know, on a Sunday morning, because that's where everybody's coming to hear yeah. the word of God. Whereas I think at our church, if it was done, I think because the peop a lot of the people in our church would catch if something being preached was off. And yeah. I think that would be a good environment. Because so many in our church won't be deceived and they'll be able to correct. Maybe. And if you're in the right church, you know, um, and you hope that they would, right? And I had not been a pastor. I don't have access to the emails that the church sends. So maybe this is a regular occurrence that after every Sunday, people are like, I don't like when you said this. I mean, maybe it is. We have a YouTube channel and we get trashed every week that people can't stand what we say or they love what we say. So maybe that's accurate for a church as well, which I hope it is. You know, it just it gives me pause because, you know, you see the way the world is around us and everyone's striving to be younger. And I just don't want the church um, to be led into that or misled into that. I think there's great places to get your feet under you. I mean, I've talked on this show before how I did jail ministry, dozens of opportunities. And what's really you know, on the Sunday morning, typically, um, people aren't going to say anything, right? You're going to go to church, you're going to preach, and people are going to sit and listen, and they're going to go away. Whereas, from my experience, you go to a jail, people are going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to stop you in what you're saying, and they're going to take things off, you know, into left field. From So it's really like yeah. a place to not just preach, but engage in discussions and hear weird things you're not expecting to hear. Same thing in a school. Um, people can kind of challenge you a little more freely where most people that go to church aren't in a confrontational mode or like really be like, well, hold on. What do you mean? You know, in <laughs> Romans yeah. chapter four, it mean, I think it means this. And you're like, Ugh. so and not that that's great practice either, I suppose. I don't know what I'm saying here. Um, I think I'm just nervous that this is like another area where the church is being led by the culture rather than the church being led by scripture. And that gives me a lot of pause. I want the church to be led by the scriptures and not just be like, well, everyone's getting younger. We should get younger too. So more young people will show up like, no, nah, let's just, you know, 
Let's just hold fast to the word of God. Let's I don't know. I think with the charge. way the culture is, we need to start teaching them and getting them to that point. Like we need more solid teaching and giving, letting them learn it, I, learn how to yeah, do it. I mean, knows? it can go the other way. You're probably right You're like you always so are. You're so pessimistic. <laughs> I'm not pessimistic. I'm just nervous. I know. Um, so let he us know what like you guys that. think. You know, Extra cautious. Um, I imagine I'm wrong on this topic like I am always. And I thought, you know, because I knew Nikki wasn't going to agree with me and she's generally right. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll either I'll have two choices, right? I can either accept the loving rebuke from my fellow believers and realize I'm wrong or I can be Alistair Begg and just dig my heels in oh my gosh, and refuse to be corrected. Which way will I go? Who knows? Uh, just kidding. Don't <sighs> trash me for hating Alistair Begg. We love Alistair. Um, just wish he would come to his senses. Um, but all right. Um, that's our thoughts on young preachers. Let us know what you think. Um, love to hear your guys' take on that. But we'll keep this thing moving on to our next topic. Uh, something I'm very interested in. Something we've talked about before. Uh, ending the porn industry. And then also discussing one of only two politicians I always enjoy hearing from, and that's Dusty Devers. Do you care to know who the other one is? I'll let you know in the comments. Um, but before we do that, please take a moment to <clears throat> like the video if you like it. Um, please consider subscribing if you're on YouTube. Follow if you're on Rumble. Um, subscribe or follow on the podcast if you haven't. Consider leaving us a comment, five-star review, all those sorts of things that help us out immensely. Um, or you can come follow the links in the show notes to find us on social media, send us an email. I do my best to respond to all the comments that we get. Um, but even if I don't get to responding to your comments, I do read them all. It's just takes a lot of time, depending on the videos and stuff, to try to get back to everybody with a thoughtful response and not just like a thumbs up. So uh, if I don't get back to you, I read it, I appreciate it, um, and I will try to get back to you. I'll do better at that, but I do have a job and a family and a podcast, so forgive me if I don't get back to you quick enough. Um, all right, on to the porn discussion. Uh, that sounds good to say on a Christian podcast. All right, so in recent weeks, um, Oklahoma State Senator and my new favorite politician, Dusty Devers uh, has come under scrutiny and mockery for a few bills that he has proposed. Bills that would make watching porn a felony and make sexting anyone besides your spouse illegal. Uh, and this is from the New York Post. Do you want to read that headline? Oklahoma proposal would make watching porn a felony. Ban sexting outside marriage. Mm hmm. And thank you for the New York Post to have <laughs> sultry images right next to a uh, an article about banning porn and uh, immoral right. content on the Internet. Thank you, New York Post. But do you want to read um, a couple of these paragraphs here? Uh, the bill set to be introduced next month by State Senator Dusty Devers would prohibit consuming or producing sexual content that lacks serious literature literary, artistic, educational, pol political, or scientific purposes or value in any medium. The measure defines obscene material as the depiction or description 
of any acts of sexual intercourse, including those that are normal or perverted, actual or simulated. Content depicted sodomy and masturbation would also be off the table in addition to videos, movies, video games, and text messages that involve, I don't know that word. Sadomasochistic. Okay, that abuse and acts of excretion in a sexual context. Under the measure, pictures of human genitals or women's breasts would also be banned as well as lewd exhibition of the buttocks. I would carry prison sentences of up to a year and $2,000 fines. The prudish proposal would also allow anyone who produces or promotes the allegedly um, untoward content to be sued by any state resident for $10,000. Married couples would be exempt from the ban, provided they only share explicit content they created together with each other. (laughs) How puritanical. Oh, Dusty, you prudish man. Uh, is this going to pass? No, of course not. <laughs> Our nation is run by perverts and, you know, next to money, lust is the great idol of our day. But I think just him saying this, other people, you know, get on board. Nobody wants to be the one saying all this and getting mocked. Like, I mean, he knew. Oh, right. Of he, course knew. he knew. He said this uh, knowing, but this does have positive effects on other people's minds and hearts just to see it laid out right I, not for nothing i love it i mean call people to the carpet right like hey how do you feel on this should we you know stop pornography in this nation christian man or woman and they're like whoa yeah. i mean you know let's just whoa hold freedom right and like yeah all right um but i love this proposal i think it's awesome yeah. right call people to the carpet but as much as I love it, I'm, I get bewildered by the responses. Like, you know, we're kind of saying, hey, brothers and sisters in the faith, how do you feel about this law? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, freedom, uh, you know, got to have Satan statutes in the Capitol so I can be a Christian and like, you know, call people to the carpet. I love these sorts of things. I know. And I'm not, be- you know, bewildered by the response from the left, right? The godless no. left. They're, of course... The response is going to be expected. This guy's a prude, a, a Puritan, um, mock him, make fun of him. It's more response from the believers. Kind of the same thing we saw again with the Satan statue, right? The believers are like, you better leave that statue there uh, so that I can have my Bible. You're like, all right. Uh, so I got one response here. Um, the mockery towards Dusty Deavers. And this is from uh, Jimmy Fallon. Let's hear Jimmy Fallon's response. We'll get this. A senator in Oklahoma named Dusty Devers has introduced a bill that would make it illegal to sext anyone other than your spouse. It's kind of weird. Uh, The statement was even weirder. First, he said, please don't sext anyone unless it's my spouse. Eggplant emoji. Then he said, oops, that was a mistake, eggplant emoji. Uh, Sorry again, that was a real boner on my part. Like a mistake boner, not a boner boner. OMG, I can't stop saying boner. Get it together, Dusty Deavers. And finally he said, wait, I just realized that my name sounds like a porn name, which is ridiculous. If I had a porn name, it'd be the name of the first dog and the street I grew up on. My dog's name was Dusty, and I lived on 32 Deavers Street, so my porn name would be Dusty Deavers. Oh, fudge! 
So here is, you know, Jimmy Fallon, what I would say, mocking someone who's looking to end human sex trafficking and rape uh, proliferated by the porn industry, uh, mocking someone who's looking to end a practice that's ruined families all across the nation and the world. And I mean, they just don't look ahead to the future. They don't think about what they do, how it affects anybody else in a negative way. They, they can't look beyond themselves. Right. And I mean, you know, morality, uh, you know, objective truth, those sorts of things are mocked by people who don't have a faith in God. And it's just such a common thing in our world. Um, and it's something that I really grow tired of. This idea of just sort of like mock a serious thing to make people less likely to take it serious. You know, like what Dusty Devers is saying here is serious and it should be seriously addressed, right? Is it going to pass? No, but like, hey man, we need to look at what the porn industry is. We've talked recently on here about MindGeek, the parent company of Pornhub and how they are um, promoting uh, rape human sex trafficking, child um, ex uh, explicit material on their websites knowingly, that should be seriously addressed, right? Facebook's just been called in front of Congress to explain why there are so many child um, predators on their platform. Like this needs serious addressing, but instead you get someone like Jilly, Jimmy Fallon to go and do a skit about it, not address the real issue, just make fun of the man because once you make fun of the man, then you don't really have to take serious what he's talking about. You don't really have to think about it anymore. Mm. Ah, it's just a joke. It's Dusty mm. Devers, that guy with the goofy name, right? We don't have to take serious what he's talking about. And they do the same thing with conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorist, right? Yeah. Just claim someone's a conspiracy theorist, mock and ridicule them. Then you don't have to address um, the serious issues that they're discussing. Mm -hmm. You know, like rather than mocking Dusty Devers, um, have Jimmy Fallon address why he supports an industry that's ruined so many families, that's subjected so many women to sex trafficking and rape, drug and alcohol abuse, abortion, I mean, these all these These are the same people who say, well, if God is good, why does he allow so much evil? Like, well, if you're so good, why are you furthering it? Yeah. Why does God allow evil? And then you log into Pornhub, like, Nah, brother, that's you doing evil. Um, that's not God. Um, but no one will ever ask, right? No one will ask Jimmy Fallon to go and explain why he supports the porn industry. Um, just go make fun of the man who's looking to address those issues. And then I can feel good about going and serving the Dark Lord's kingdom through my porn consumption and not think about the damaging effects of those choices. Um. I grow tired of it because we have serious issues that need to be addressed. And, um, you know, our founders, they told us that our Constitution, basically our entire republic, could only govern us if we were a moral and religious people. We are not that any longer. Uh, we are a wicked and depraved people, and therefore we need laws to govern our behaviors. Because in the past, when we actually believed in God, we didn't need laws to tell us that, you know, dressing your prepubescent son up like a girl and having them dance in front of adults was wrong and that it shouldn't be allowed. I mean, we know the uh, stark increase in like child drag events. Um, we've seen them on YouTube, the drag queen story hours, 
we didn't need a law to tell us that that was uh, improper. Right. We do now. Thank you, LGBTQ community. Um, and remember that video we played a few weeks ago? It's actually uh, like been removed on Twitter. But the American Academy of Pediatrics that was discussing with teens how to sext safely. You know, we haven't always, but we do now need laws that tell adults it's not okay for you to try and teach teens how to send nude photos to each other. Um, like, are we supposed to believe that the framers of the Constitution intended that, you know, our right to privacy in the 14th Amendment was intended so mothers could kill their children in the womb? It is weird the things people, they have the right to do. Like, I was just thinking of the boldness of all those men and Sodom and Gomorrah, like, banging on the door like they had a right to the men that entered Lot's house. This yeah. is how people are acting. Like, it's that bad. Really. What do you mean I can't tell that teenage girl next door how to send nudes to my son? Get off my lawn. That's an Amer I'm an American, doggone it. Like, and we can't compromise. Like, Lot was going to be like, hey, take my daughters. Wasn't that? Isn't that yeah. what happened? Like you can just say no. We're not gonna. We're not gonna compromise. Oh, you can't do that, don't you know? Jimmy Fallon would make fun of you. You can't be made fun of as a Christian. My goodness, Christ did not die so you would be made fun of. Oh, just compromise, and the world will like you. Um, but no, I would venture to guess the framers did not have these sorts of things in mind. Um, when they wrote our constitution, because we were a moral and religious people. We are not that anymore. Uh, so let's hear one more time from Dusty Devers, because I can't hear enough from the man. Every person looking at porn knows that it is condemning them. There's not a single person who looks at it and says, oh, this is a good thing for me. This is a good thing for the people that I'm watching here. This, what I'm seeing happen here, even if it's less violent, uh, is a good thing. There, nobody is saying that because they have a conscience. They're created by God, and their conscience is either approving them or accusing them before the holy character of God. So they already know, number one. Secondly, porn is defiling. And what we see in the bedroom spills out into the outdoors. What happens indoors is always going to go outdoors mm. with porn. Man, <laughs> I want to move to Oklahoma just so I can vote for Dusty Devers. Can you believe hearing a politician talk that way? I oh, I, know. <laughs> I love it. And he's I right, know. of course. Porn is condemning you every time you watch it. Maybe with the exception of those with like the most severely darkened souls. Um, yeah. But Christians, you know, this is right, right? You know that this is right. Porn this is, is like our you. really like someone who stands up and speaks the truth like that, knowing that they're going to, you know, be hated and mocked. It's like the prophets. God's like, go say this. Yeah. And they're like, I know I'm going to die, but this I will say prophetic. it anyway. This is That's, prophetic. This yeah. <laughs> is speaking the truth of God's word to a lost and dying culture. Um, yeah. And we know it's right. And that's what bothers me, right? Because you think like, oh, man, all of Christendom is going to get behind this man, respond with approval. Thanks for a politician that's willing to stand for the truth and speak to the truth and suffer mockery mm -hmm. and scorn. Nope. <laughs> of course all that not. Satan can do uh, is say... Um, 
just twist the words of God. That's the only way he can really get people on board, even Christians on board, um, especially with our Constitution. It's being twisted. Oh, that's what this means. This means I have the freedom to do this wickedness. And it's being done with the Word of God. Oh, grace, that means I have the freedom to live in sin. It's the same thing being done to God's Word and our Constitution, the same twisting. Being twisted and perverted. And Christians should know better, and they should stand against it and stand for the truth, but they don't, uh, at least not often enough. Here's a response to that video from Dusty Devers where he talked about porn condemning you. This is from Mr. Encouragement. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I've been born again. I believe there's no way to be reconciled to God except through the blood of Jesus, his atoning sacrifice. But respectfully, Christian nationalism is wrong. Jesus never told us to subjugate, yada, yada, yada. So immediately he goes to, how dare you tell other people how to live rightly? Um, Wow. Like, it's just straight to Christian nationalism. Label it something that you can denounce, that you can stand uh, stand against, right? Much the same as what Jimmy Fallon's doing there. Um, And this I don't get. And it makes me think that people who believe like this are actually embarrassed by their faith. Yeah. You, know, you told me, I think years ago it was now, you saw a woman who was wearing a shirt that said, I'm a Christian, but not like that. Yeah. Like, what does that mean other than I'm the kind of Christian a God this world can feel comfortable with? I'm no threat to you. I'm perfectly yeah. happy letting yeah. you go to hell. It was something about pointing the finger. That yeah. she said to me. I'm not one of those hypocritical Christians that's going to tell you how to live. I'm just going to love you like Jesus. Because Jesus church. never told you how to live. Um, uh, crazy. Um, and not to mention, right, we have politicians who run on their faith. And that being a reason that we should vote for them. And we vote for these people like Dusty Devers, supposedly because they believe like we do. But then when they get to office... We're supposed to demand that they don't follow their faith in any way or that their faith shouldn't allow them to dictate the policies that they pursue. You're like, what are you in Oklahoma? And you're like, I voted for Dusty Devers because he's a Christian who believes like me. He believes abortion is wrong and that porn is harmful. Yay. And then he gets an office and you're like, wait, you want to end abortion and ban porn by law? What are you, a Christian nationalist? You can't force your beliefs on other people. Boo. Well, then why did you vote for the man in the first place? They don't know what it means to be a Christian. They don't, they don't take people the serious, I guess. I to vote for, you know, satanic politicians that are going to force satanic policies on us. Don't put a Christian in there and expect them to pass moral, pure, morally pure laws. Like, we don't have any time for that here. People just want to be free to sin, even at the their freedom to do their smaller sins at the cost of, you know, everything we're talking about. And that's fine from the godless left, but a Christian should realize there is no freedom in sin. It's bondage to sin. And you need to be free from that. And so many other people suffer under the weight of your sin. Yeah. Um, you know, even if they're not necessarily partaking, right? Speaking to the porn industry, these children that are being exploited um, these humans that are being sex trafficked, raped, they're suffering under the weight of your perversion. Yeah, you can't have 
like keep your porn addiction and at the same time be like, we got to find a way to end child sex trafficking while I'm holding on to this. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, brother, you are the sex trafficker. It's like we're bipolar um, in our worldview. I want you to believe the way that I believe. Just don't do anything about your faith. Um, you know, basically, don't do anything about your faith like I don't do anything about my faith. Just tell me you're a Christian and it's good enough for me, right? Um, I love what Dusty Devers is doing. I want him to continue. And like we said, put on blast. Highlight all the perverts along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, call out, call on the carpet. All those supposedly religious, you know, holier than thou, vote for me because I'm a Christian warrior. Good, call them on the carpet. You want to fight against it? Let's fight against it, brother. Join me in my cause and just watch how quickly they fall away. Just how quickly their position, their, you know, uh, financial security, all of that, they place in uh, higher esteem than their faith. So I thought, you know, in that vein, I kind of saw a couple of stories the last two weeks um, that I thought helped bolster Dusty Deaver's argument for banning porn. Uh, and the first one is that syphilis is on the rise. Isn't that great? You want to read this headline, honey? Rates of syphilis in the U.S. are higher than any time since the 1950s, CDC says. The joys of sexual liberation, huh? Um, and why is it on the rise? This article tries to mislead you with why. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Hmm. Yeah, he says right here, I think it's unknowingly being spread in the cisgender heterosexual population because we really aren't testing for it. We really aren't looking for it in that population. Dr. Philip Chan, who teaches at Brown University, is the chief medical officer at Open Door Health, a health center for gay, lesbian, and transgender patients in Rhode Island. So Does the the doctors there say, I know how to cure your issue and for you to not get these diseases anymore. No, he's deflecting, right? (laughs) What he's telling you is untrue here. The man is misleading you and you can see why just by where he works, right? He works for the Open Door Health, a center for gay, lesbian, and transgender patients. And he's like, it's not my guys that are spreading syphilis. It's probably those cisgendered heterosexual folks because nobody tests them. Like, no. uh, And I found this other article like, that's, of course, not true, right? Um, so this article here from the CDC, you know, you think I would have found this stuff ahead of time um, to make this a little smoother of a process, but I didn't. All right, here it says, in 2014, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men accounted for 83% of primary and secondary syphilis cases where the sex of sex partner was known in the United States. Um, so this guy's saying, oh, it's probably cisgendered heterosexual folks. And this article from the CDC is like, uh, even in 2014, 83% of syphilis was among gay men. So have we seen a rise or fall in homosexuality since 2014? Um, a stark rise and rampant pornography consumption is a reason for that. And You know, this makes sense biblically, right? James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. 
You know, it teaches us that each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Uh, and the LGBTQ movement is the death of a nation, literally. Uh, it ends reproduction, and it spreads disease around, um, which is not great. In in that respect, right, you could say Dusty Deaver should pursue this avenue because porn is leading to the death of this nation. Um, yeah. So that's the first. That's the outward damage. Um, rising incidence of STDs through the increase of sexual promiscuity and homosexuality. And the second is um, the damage that it does to the soul. This article is from the Christian Post. It's the three perils of pornography. And it's written by um, Josh Boyce. Uh, and he goes on in here and he says, uh, throughout the years of the pastoral ministry, one constant sin that has continued to surface during counseling sessions has been pornography. From young to old, it remains a massive pitfall for men and increasingly number or an increasing number of women. So in here, he's going to talk about the perils of pornography. And I think more specifically, the perils that it um, presents to our souls. So do you want to read this first uh, peril that it mentions? Uh, the pornographic industry is built upon the foundation of deception. It creates a fake world with fake sexual freedom that results in much pain and often great destruction. One common way pornography deceives a person is by making them believe that sex is a private and personal thing that can be performed alone. That is simply not true. Sex was never created by God for personal autonomy or to be performed in isolation. Sex, by its very design, is relational. Pornography creates the deceptive idea that a person doesn't need marriage to enjoy sex and that it's impossible to engage in sexual activity fueled by lust and isolation to the other person in the marriage covenant. This is a lie, and it must be wholeheartedly rejected. Yeah, so that first point there was deception. Um, mm -hmm. The first peril of pornography is deception, and everything about porn is deception. Um, everything's a lie, and it's destructive. It's one of the most destructive, if not the most destructive, things in our world. Um, it's so serious of a sin that it gets its own special warning from the Apostle Paul. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen through twenty says, "Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your own body." Um, a sin so serious, the Apostle Paul had to step aside and be like. Pay special attention to this one because it's really bad. Um, and not to mention, you know, we've talked about this before. Almost every listing of sin in scripture starts with sexual immorality as the first and foremost sin. Is this one of those sins because it's sinning against your own body or you can say you need to forgive yourself? I know I've talked about that with people Just before. Is that yourself. a thing? No, but that to forgive yourself. I've heard that people say that. You just need to forgive yourself. 
Is this one of those instances where you would apply that because you're sinning against your own body? I don't, I don't know. It just I popped in my head. I would fall more into the camp of you're sinning against God. You don't need to forgive yourself. You need to yeah. seek repentance from God. Whereas, you know, in other, although you're not only harming yourself, as we've mentioned, right? You're harming the person on the other side of that screen. Um, you're harming the person you're living your immoral lifestyle with because you're dragging them through sin as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. So I think there's forgiveness all around. Sure, maybe forgive yourself at the end of the day. Um, but that's all sin, right? We should, you know, forgive ourselves, not necessarily forget the shame and the guilt, right? That I think is good. And it leads us to a remembrance of the goodness of God for forgiving us. But yeah, at some point, you know, you can't be holding on to the porn that you watched 20 years ago and still beating yourself up over it. You've, you know, asked God for forgiveness and you've turned from that sin. Mm -hmm. And yes. Um, But Dusty Devers was, was right. And he said something in his post Uh, Let me see if I can find it that I thought was so good and so true. He said, um, uh, where did he say it? Was it? Yeah, here it is. He says, pornography's banquet in the grave. And I thought, boy, what a perfect description Hmm. for pornography, a banquet in a grave. It's drag. It seems so nice. And he says in the fact so that enticing. Jimmy Fallon serves as a waiter. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, so that was the first peril, deception. Do you want to read the second peril? Okay. Uh, the entire porn industry. We'll read the title of it Sorry. first. Oh, peril two is corruption. Yeah. Um. The entire porn industry is built upon deception, and deception leads to corruption. The fruit of pornography is a corrupt view of sex, but also a distortion of relationships. Yeah, um, this, of course, is true, you know. And the most, you know, depraved sexual predators didn't just go, you know, from one day of, you know, singing worship songs in Sunday school to the very next day, they're scouring Facebook to look for children to sexually exploit. It doesn't just happen in a day, right? There's a gradual step of having your soul corrupted and darkened by pornography. And it says down here, men who are enslaved by pornography often come to view women as objects to be consumed rather than people who should be respected and valued as image bearers of God. Yeah. Um, and I think a byproduct of this um, that damages women as well is that they lose their self-respect. And then they believe that um, the only way that they can really have any worth or value is in their appearance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, so many women and girls and like even younger and younger girls now They do all they can to sort of highlight their external beauty rather than work and focus on their inward beauty. Um, And men did that to them through their rabid porn obsession that um, all we care about is how you look, um, how you make me feel when I look at you. Uh, And it's shameful. It's uh, disgraceful that we've done that to women. Again, even younger. And I mean, my goodness, walk around a mall today and see the way young girls are dressed and. Um, it should break your heart if you have a love for them and you care for their souls. 
um, to see the way they value themselves because um, it's displayed in what they're wearing and how they present themselves, what they value most. Um, and that's something we as men need to recognize. Like, yep, we did that. But I mean, think about like the hip hop industry. That's what came to mind when I was thinking about like these younger and like all women are as objects, right? Objects for a man to serve his lust. And uh, it's pretty shameful. And Christians should know that. Um, so let's read this third and final point. All right. It's called Buyer's Remorse. Uh, it says. Um, well, and I just wanted to, before you read that, oh, okay. because there is no more perfect description, I think, of the side effects of sin than buyer's remorse. I think that is a perfect, I like everything Satan promises falls flat. Like everything Satan promises you, like Dusty said, it's a banquet in the grave. Like and For some reason, people are addicted and then they just repeat that cycle. They're like, oh, like they keep thinking, oh, reward, a reward is coming. And then they know how they're going to feel afterwards. Like, yeah, it leaves you dissatisfied every time. And you know, it does. As soon as you're done giving yeah. to that sin, you're like, so it's like, why do it? Oh, why did I? Well, it's always like, more. It makes I you eat this shameful. cake and I know I'm going to feel horrible after I eat this cake. <laughs> Right. It's funny, even dieting, right? You talk to people that are eating healthy and they're like, oh, I have so much more energy and feel good. But the diet always falls off, right? That's why they're like, oh, diets, you know, yo-yo dieting. And it's so like eating junk food never falls off. Yet we always feel like garbage after we do it. It's only in the moment you enjoy it so, so much. Bizarre. And then immediately, it is immediately, you're like, oh, I'm so upset with myself. I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? It's like clear evidence of the depravity of man's heart that we just continue to return to this vomit, knowing that it's vomit, and yet sort of convincing ourselves that like the vomit's going to be a little bit better this time. And then you're like, no, oh, it's always it's still such vomit. a short-lived, pleasurable experience. It's not even like long-term in the slightest no. that you get to enjoy it. <laughs> it's awful, right? Only Christ. And right living before God can truly satisfy. So sorry, I just wanted to mention that. Such a great title for the peril, yeah. uh, peril because it's so accurate. So do you want to read um, what he talks about with buyer's remorse? It says, sin will always take a person farther than they want to go, keep them longer than they are willing to stay, and cost them more than they are willing to pay. According to the American Perspective Survey, by the Survey Center on American Life, only 26% of men who report having watched pornography in the past day say they are satisfied. The more you examine the statistics regarding those who watch pornography, it becomes evident that they are consistently less satisfied. Yeah, so 26% say they were satisfied by watching porn. And I bet you 25% of those are liars. <laughs> like, Hey, did you enjoy watching? They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's why I do it, because I feel so good afterwards. And you're like, maybe those who are really given over to a depraved mind. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, right. So um, this, you know, buyer's remorse, this corruption, uh, deception just leads you into deeper waters of depravity, you know, constantly taking you further into more extremes and hopes of sort of scratching that itch that porn can never really scratch. So um, why is this important to Christians? You know, I think it's important 
to Christians because it is a life and death issue, like quite literally. Um, this article from Psychology Today uh, talks about, according to Karn, 17% of sex addicts have attempted suicide. Hmm. And that's four times the national average. And 72% have considered suicide. So this is daunting. Hmm. Um, and that's just on their own personal lives, right? Committing suicide or attempting it. But it's also the death of families, the death of relationships, the death of innocence. And then most importantly, it leads to eternal death. And we should care enough about people to want to break them free of this deadly poison that is sexual immorality, even if they don't realize or accept that it's a deadly poison. We realize that it is. Um, and as we've talked about, sure, the 50-year-old man who's making his own decisions, it's hard to, to pass a law like for his own benefit. But the child he's exploiting needs that law mm -hmm. to protect them. <clears throat> So what should we do about it? Uh, I think we should actually have faith in what we claim to have faith in. Yeah. I think, you know, Christian living is the best possible way to live for all people, for sinners and saints alike. Um, and this idea that we can't or we shouldn't impose our religious beliefs on other people is nonsense. Uh, now, you can't force other people to be saved. That's a sovereign work of God. But we can impose a morally correct standard of living on people, uh, and we should. As we mentioned earlier, you know, our nation, this supposed free nation, was only designed for moral and religious people. Yeah. We are not that anymore. Therefore, we should not expect to live in a nation scant on laws, right? We need laws like what Dusty Devers is proposing uh, to protect children from the exploitation that's coming their way, to protect teens and young adults from, you know, potentially deadly STDs and to promote marriage and families. Those are good things for the nation that we should be proposing. You know, rampant sexual immorality benefits no one, <laughs> exactly nobody. Um, and I'm beginning to believe that Christians um, who reject the ideas that Dusty Deavers are proposing do so because they're embarrassed about their faith. You know, they've allowed the Jimmy Fallons of the world to tell them that it's not cool to be a Christian. You know, so you can believe it if you want, but like you better not expect other people to follow that religion or live the way God tells us to live. It's not cool, right? The whole live and let live, you know, thing people say still, it contradicts them you know, you can't be against evil and have that mantra. Like you, yeah, what's that's that a laziness. From, uh, is it dazed and confused? I can't remember the old Matthew McConaughey. You know, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Oh. Uh, <laughs> line that makes you think like, hey, do you uh, do you think I can watch? You can allow me to, to watch child porn. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. And you're like, no, I'm not going to let you watch it. It's not cool, man. Like. Quit allowing a lost and dying world to tell us what is better than what God has dictated. Because what it's other not. people do affects our quality of life and future generations that we care about. If their whole mantra is just self-focused, let me be free to do what I want. And who cares how it affects other people? Nobody, like, again, nobody thinks beyond themselves, their desire. 
Nobody thinks about consequences at all. I'm free to watch porn, so get that young girl over there and rape her so that I can watch, so I can enjoy my freedom. <laughs> That's not freedom, dude. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Uh, a lost and dying world's idea of freedom is not better than what God has dictated. It's proven that it isn't. Even if they write lame jokes about it, God's way is better for everyone, even if they don't know it. People just don't want to sacrifice anything. Heck no. You sacrifice yeah. so that I can live lavishly in my comfort and depravity. Um, so how should we pray about it? And pff, I don't even know. <laughs> like, uh, this is such a hard thing for me to try to wrap my mind around. Like, I think you should pray maybe like the centurion in Mark 9, 24. You know, I believe, help me in my unbelief. You know, because we are no longer a moral and religious people capable of self-governance, you know, because we submit to a higher authority, right? You don't need a lot of laws when you submit to a higher authority. Right. And the Bible dictates and governs your life. You don't need a lot of laws. The laws are because people are godless, like the Ten Commandments, because people were already sinning in every way. Yeah. You don't have law like the Ten Commandments weren't in the beginning, like right away. It was after well, a time. Well, we don't, I mean, we're told that we have a government essentially because people are wicked and we, you know, we need them to sort of corral us before our wickedness and depravity, which is why, you know, governments that don't um, lead in righteousness and aren't, you know, sort of the avenging angels against wickedness are in a sense, um, like not valid governments, really. Um, mm -hmm. This is kind of the whole Romans 13 thing, right? Submit to your government. Well, when your government's telling you to disobey and they're leading you to disobey God, okay, well, that's not a valid government anymore, You have to right? obey God over their and laws. We are not yeah. morally religious, right? We're a depraved and wicked people. We're full of pride, self-idolatry, love of money, love of sexual immorality. Like, we need to be governed. And rather than push back, we should thank God when people like Dusty Devers actually somehow sneak into elected office. We should praise God for men like him instead of being like, hey, get off your high horse. Uh, we yeah. want to elect godless satanic politicians that make abortion legal after birth. I mean, he's bringing up nuts? things. He's bringing up how it affects other people. He's not even talking about, he's, it's not like he's saying, I just personally don't like it. He's talking about how it, how far it goes. How could you be mad at him for caring for children and for women and all the victims? Why would you be angry at him for that? Because love your neighbor, something, something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but do you have any last thoughts on this topic of banning porn, um, Dusty Devers? No. I love it. Keep it going, Dusty. Um, don't let the naysayers and the supposed Christian Christian nationalist bashers, whatever they want to call themselves, get you to quiet down. Um, keep standing for the truth. Keep fighting for people. Um, we here at Religionless Christianity appreciate it. Um, but all right. One last interesting story that I want to discuss today before we get to our Bible topic. Um, just want to take a second to remind you guys, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Great place to go and find 50 to 60 good Christian sort of indie podcasts covering a wide range of topics. And the great thing is you can subscribe to one feed and you get basically all however many 50 
um, podcast into that one feed so it can clear up the clutter from your uh, you know Spotify or Apple podcast account. Just get it all in one feed. It's great. Um, we were just on there last Monday on Theology Throwdown having a good discussion about Alistair Begg and how Christians should handle that. So that was a lot of fun. So go check out Christian Podcast Community. It's down in the show notes. I am sure you'll be blessed. So the last story that we want to discuss here, well, I'll just let you read the headline, honey. Pastor Jack Hibbs lists five things Christians will go to war over in 2024. Yep. And then you can just read that as a headline. Pastor Jack Hibbs recently listed five things Christians will go to war over this year as part of a sermon series at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills? Chino Hills. Chino Hills, California. Yep. So first off, I don't know anything about Jack Gibbs. Um, I think I've heard the name before, but I've never heard him. Don't know where he stands on any issues, really. Uh, I just saw these and I thought it was interesting. So I'm neither endorsing or denouncing Jack, Jack Hibbs. I don't know the man. However, if you do know him, please let us know what you think about him in the comments. And just as an important uh piece of clarification in case the FBI is listening. FYI, the FBI is always listening. (laughs) Um, But Jack Hibb clarifies this. He says, um, I'm not talking about bombs, guns, and missiles. I'm talking about an all-out war on everything from the spiritual realm, which is invisible, but certainly to the physical world in which things manifest. So he's not talking about real war, but this is spiritual war. So just want to make that point. Um, So let's look at each of these five topics. And he says the first war that will be fought is a uh, a war against the truth. Well, that's been an ongoing thing since the very beginning. And uh, to that end, he says, um, uh, yeah, he says that a lot of people today are saying, what is truth? And that it seems as though things have gotten worse since Pilate because people have a harder time believing in truth. And he's speaking here about Pontius Pilate uh, and Pilate's response to Christ in John 18, verse 38, where, you know, Christ says he is the truth and Pilate says, what is truth, right? So like you just mentioned, this war is nothing new. Um, It's been raging since the fall of man, but it certainly seems to be ramping up in our day. Uh, you know, the whole idea of like your truth, it seems to be kind of a common talking point in our society yeah. today. Uh, so I think he's right. You know, it's an ongoing war, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to fight it and fight against it. Right. In 2024, just like we should have been fighting against it in 23. And sadly, we'll probably be fighting against it in 2025. Um, but we should be fighting against it. And we should be fighting against it with the truth. And God's word is truth. Uh, Psalms 119 verse 60, I believe, says the the sum of your word is truth. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would agree with Jack Hibbs here that we will be fighting a war against truth in 2024. No doubt. We've been we fighting been. it since the dawn of time. So why would we expect things to change? Do you want to read this second point here? A war against facts. Uh, the pastor defining facts as the reporting of what is observed. 
Well, you know. Well, that's another thing people can say. Well, you observe that, but I observe this. Your truth is not my truth. <laughs> right. And this one kind of plays off the yeah. first point. Yeah. Um, and again, this, just like the first one, is a war we've been fighting now. Um, but I like that he says it's the reporting of what is observed. And, you know, we know that the news media politicians yeah. are not to be trusted. You know, they've discredited themselves. They've yeah. proven their willingness to lie and falsify the news too many times to count. Right. Um, but here again, I think is a, a place where we're going to need to have the word of God stored up in our hearts, you know, readily available in our minds so that we can test these things that we hear. Um, because we all hear, like, you can't avoid the news, you know, you can't avoid the propaganda anymore. It's too widespread with social media, the internet, ta uh, mm -hmm. cable news and all these sorts of things. It's too rampant to just think that you can bury your head in the sand and ignore it. So you need to have the word of God stored up in your heart, readily available in your mind so that you can defend against these sorts of things. But then also, this is going to require some legwork from you to actually look into issues yourself. Like we've said this on this show since we started, you're going in argument whenever you hear something from the mainstream media or a politician is, that's a lie. Let me figure out what the truth is. That should always Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, these stories about, you know, police brutality and all these things that come out or what this bill is going to do and we're going to secure the border and like whatever you hear, be like, <laughs> they're lying to me. Let me go and take a look and try to figure out and try to navigate my way through this spider's web of lies to find the truth. Um, because in today's world, you just can't get away with being like completely disinterested or completely disengaged as a citizen unfortunately yeah. it just requires more from you uh, so you got to study the word closer you got to be more discerning and um, you got to be willing to do a little bit of legwork if you actually care to find the truth so i think he's right on this again these are wars that have been going on forever um, nothing new here but it doesn't mean we don't need to fight against them so do you want to read point number three all right, point number three is a war against faith. The pastor noting that this was not a war against all faiths, but rather against the Christian faith specifically. Yep. Uh, and I, I guess, agree that we would see this in greater measure in 2024. Um, and I think also not just necessarily warring against the God haters, you know, in that spiritual warfare, but I think also warring in a sense against those in our own camp who just want us to like tone it down, you know, be more tolerant, yeah. stop being so rigid and outspoken, quit being dusty divers, just go along to get along. They'd say what dusty divers said would turn people away from, from Christianity. Right, they wouldn't want enough. Yeah. You're, you know, you're Just being condemning, your neighbor, right? <laughs> Reject all that. That's stuff that we need to go to war against as well. Um, I would say go all in on your faith in 2024 because they're coming for your faith either way. And boy, I think it's such a shameful sight to see a Christian like try and hide his faith only to be stamped out anyways. Like if you're going to yeah. go down, go down swinging, well, don't then, go down yeah. cowering and have them stomp you out anyways, at least yeah. go down. I mean, be Stephen, right? Go and stand before them and know they're going to stone you to death and just lay into them with the truth of God's word. 
don't go and cower away mm-hmm. only to have them come, you know, try to stamp you out anyways. I think that's a shameful sight. So my advice to you, go all in, double down, reject all that whole, you know, just love your neighbor, you know, again, love your neighbor. Christ told us to do that, but do it correctly. Um, mm-hmm. Do it God's way. Don't, don't think you're more loving than God. You know, that you somehow have a better grasp on righteous living than God does. Don't do that. Go all in on your faith in 2024. That's my goal. That's my brand new New Year's resolu- resolution. It's like these Christians who are going all soft. It's like, what's the proverb? It's, There's a way that seems right to a man. but In the end, it leads to death. That is the the tolerant Christianity, the just love them. Don't hurt their feelings, you know, preaching the truth about their sin and where it's sending them. Yeah. It seems right. Seems right. But <laughs> it is not right. God's way is right. Do it his way. Give it a whirl. See how things work <laughs> out. Uh, so you want to read the fourth uh, war here? Uh, he says it'll be a war against the church, noting that the war has always been against the church and that God loves his church. We love each other, but the world is against us. Uh, So maybe Jack Hibbs sees a little bit of 2020, 2021 on steroids coming in uh, 2024. You know, it is an election year. And Mm -hmm. um, you're going to play the same cards. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows when the next pandemic breaks out? But I hope that this is something that pastors and elders are considering um, and that they're discussing, you know, how they're going to stand should the state, you know, if you will, turn its gaze on them in the next year or so. Because hmm. I think if you're not talking about that now, I think you're behind the curve. Again, like in light of what happened in the last few years, if you're not sort of discussing amongst yourself, like, how are we going to stand? You know, how are we going to apply Romans 13 in a country that seems to be drifting further away from God at a faster and faster pace every year. What are we going to do, right? If you're not discussing that now, I think you're kind of behind the curve. So go and watch the Essential Church movie uh, if you haven't watched that yet. And then have a discussion because, you know, Jack Hibbs may be right. Pray to God he's not, right? Pray to God that um, more and more men like Dusty Deavers get elected to office and we can kind of return back to some sanity. But um Maybe have a discussion and make sure your church is ready for it. It should takes it a long time to win a country back. I mean, just think about, uh, you know, the Israelites going to take the promised land. It wasn't all at once. Yeah. I mean, not that it's like a perfect comparison, but things take time. It, a lot of work well, to it takes a undo lot of work when you're the damage. Fighting against the godless to elect righteous yeah. politicians, but then you're also fighting against people in your own camp yes. that don't want you to be That's what quite I was thinking. so righteous, you know? <laughs> like, it's like we're infiltrated. Fighting from both sides, if you yeah, will. Yeah, we are. We yeah, have to, crazy. like, build up our camp and weed out those who aren't supposed to be there. Oh, no, don't you? You just let the whole world in. You let them be exactly who they are. Except Don't them. you dare tell them to turn from their sins. You just let them in. Have free nothing, reign in your camp. There's nothing in scripture that would follow that. Do it, I suppose. So uh, here, let's read the fifth and final point. A war against marriage. 
uh, Hibbs notes that it doesn't take a spiritual Einstein to figure this one out. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> so uh, this too is a war that's been raging. Uh, and it's a war we've been losing. <laughs> um, so, you know, marriage today in our society, you know, in our eyes, and sadly, in many Christians' eyes, right, is basically whatever the secular society calls it, mm-hmm. you know, from A to Z, the Andy Stanleys to the Zach Lamberts, right? They're <laughs> allowing the godless culture to, devi- uh, to define an institute that God designed and gave to us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is, I think, certainly a war or battles that are going to be going on fighting over marriage. So, um. That's the five wars Jack Hibbs sees us fighting. What did you think of the list of wars from Jack Hibbs? Think there's some truth in that or? I mean, it's just, these are all ongoing things. You know, when I first read it, I was like, is he going to, is this something new? Is he trying to be prophetic here? But he's just saying things that have always been. Well, this is modern oh, prophecy. Yeah, just I know. read a scripture of Bible and go, <laughs> the Lord is tearing down high places. And you're like, thank you, Lord. Like, yeah, it's right there in the verse where it says that. Um, so yeah, uh, nothing new here. Uh, I think these are battles that we've been in war with for many, many years. They're battles that we've been losing for many, many years. Uh, so I don't think Jax Hibbs is wrong here. Uh, I just hope that 2024 would be a year that maybe we take back some ground on any of these. Just any one of them, take back ground on. Um, I think marriage should be the easiest, um, but it also seems to be the one that we've given the most ground to. Um, so even if we don't gain ground, maybe just stop losing ground. Just hold your ground in 2024. You know, like the, uh, who is it, Gandalf? You'll go this far and no further. Let that be your your call for 2024. And, um, you know, just stand your ground on like a single fact. Like maybe biological sex, make your ground on biological sex. That one seems like an easy one. Um, But interesting list from Jack Hibbs. Again, nothing I think new there, stuff we've been fighting for a while, just more of the same. Um, Mm -hmm. But can we make a stand on any of those issues or maybe even win a war? That would be very interesting. So um, before we end here today, though, we do want to get into our final Bible topic from Mark Jones's excellent book, Knowing Sin. Mm -hmm. Um, Still highly encourage Mm. you to go and pick up a copy of that book. The chapters are fairly short, easy to get through. It would make a great, you know, sort of family devotional, family discussion with your kids. Be a great small group study for your church. All of those sorts of things. We'll have links to it down in the show notes. Consider picking up a copy. Uh, It's been a wonderful read for us. So. Nikki put the notes together on this one. So if you want to kind of take away the discussion on Mark Jones's book. Yeah. Uh, happy, happily <laughs> relinquish my hosting duties. <laughs> All right. So the last chapter, chapter 18, um, this is called Sin's Omission. Where is the love? So the opening of this chapter mentions sins of omission, which means the positive commands of God that we neglect. So when we think of sin, we usually think of sins of commission, which means the negative things we do, the things we're told not to do. So Mark Jones says, idolatry takes us away from serving God to ourselves. 
but it also takes us away from doing good to others. So that's something to think about. I thought that was really good. Well, I think this is such a good chapter to end on because, again, we spend a lot of time discussing the sins that we, you know, commit against God, you know, those sins of commission, the things we actively do that we're commanded not to do. But we oftentimes you know, forgive ourselves or let ourselves off the hook by not doing the things that we're supposed to do, mm-hmm. um, which I think is something we should be focusing on. Not well, this is where I think we talk a lot about, and I've said it on here before, a lot of times the prayer I think that we should be praying is not necessarily that we just hate sin. That's a good prayer. We should pray that we hate sin, but you got to pray that you love righteousness, yeah. that you desire to live yeah, in a righteous to do the way positive before God. Wins. And I was just thinking about when we're like upset with our kids, it's usually not that they did a negative command, that it's that they didn't do the positive commands. They neglected doing the things we've asked them to do that are good. This Would is you like agree? the argument that every wife has had with her husband, right? Like, I'm not mad that you didn't do the laundry. I'm mad that you didn't even think to do the laundry. And you're like, I, I was I know, right? About, I'm sorry. Like, like knowing... It's about the doing because it's it's in doing the positives that bring God glory. And yes, n- refraining from the sins of commission. I want is, you to want to do the laundry with me. Yeah. But why? Not. There is something about no, is, the course, heart especially. of someone wanting to do what is pleasing in your sight. And I... Yeah, I, I think just thinking on that and just like the family dynamic, it's the sins of omission that bother us the most. Yeah, it's like the idea of, you know, tithing, you know, like God can command you to give a 10% tithe or in the New Testament, he's going to be like, I want you to be a cheerful giver. You should want to give, you know, what I've desire. blessed you with back to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I can command you to do it, but like, you should just want to do it. You should want be grateful enough for and what I've And how given many you. times has God asked us to do the positive command? How many times do I have to ask the kids, do the dishes? But I'm so glad when they do it and I don't tell them, like they just jump on it. Like more often it's the boys that do that. They just see it and they do it. Um, Kobe probably the most. He just sees things around the living room and he picks up, he tidies up. And I'm like, I love that kid. He, it's But those other ones, me. I'm just kidding. But it is a thing. Like we can understand the heart of God, like he's given us the ability to understand his heart, to not be angry at him for having these positive commands because we're the same way. Right. I mean, we're made in the image and likeness of God. So why wouldn't we sort of appreciate the same things that he does? Hey, people do things for me just out of love, the things they know I want them to do, even when I don't tell them to do it. But the thing is, is God is worthy of it. We aren't, we can't say we're worthy of it and we can't judge people for not doing the the positive things to us but because god is holy um which is funny because in our sinfulness and our pride we get angry at other people yeah i want you to want to do the laundry but then when they're like i want you to be a cheerful giver you're like hey get out of my pocketbook what are you thinking like well what's the motivation it's love (laughs) it's love of god yeah that motivates you to do the positive commands and it's the love of other people. When you're putting other people before yourself, you think of them better than yourself, is what the scripture, that's how we, they word it. Um, when you really think that, you want to, you want to honor them. No, I think it's a super important and a great sin to end the book on. 
yeah. something to focus on going forward. Like as you put the book up, what sins are you committing out of like um, what you should be doing that you're not? Yeah. Do you feel loved by people when they go out of the way to do the positives toward you? Or is it just that they don't do the negatives? I guess just thinking about it that way. You all, you do feel loved when people bless you and they think of you and they honor you in different ways, different acts of love. Yeah. Kindness. Yeah. So anyway, the the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sin as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And Mark Jones says, uh, simply, sin concerns failing to do what God commands and doing what he forbids. Yep. So I've thought about um, this idea before, and I know others have probably heard of it too, but that if um, if only we could isolate ourselves in you know in the wilderness and then we'd have an easier time not sinning against God. Like we could live a sinless life if there were just no people around. It was just us. Um, so, well, with that situation, we are actually disobeying God's commands in, in doing that because Christians are not hauled to a life of isolation. Uh, we're part of God's kingdom, and his kingdom is one of fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, we glorify God uh, when we do good to one another, when we practice righteousness and love towards one another. Um, so what we do unto others, we do unto Christ. And when we ignore one another, we are ignoring Christ and his commands. We're not able to perform the positive commands. Um, so we're we're sinning against God by isolating ourselves or just even for one person, just staying away from one person, um, just saying, I'm just going to, you brought it up in here, just saying something like, oh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and just stop talking to that person. Um, you're, you're not doing the positive command of reconciliation because we're commanded to reconcile as well. Because you might say, well, if I go and talk to them, I'm going to sin against them. I'm going to say something hurtful, but you're still sinning against them by giving them the silent treatment. It's, it's equally sin. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a good thing to remember, like not living in isolation and just not sinning against God. And, you know, I think we talked about this at church recently, right? The, um, you know, and I've said this at the jail ministry, right? Like um, Christianity in one word is imputation, you know, that Christ takes our sin and gives us his mm -hmm. righteousness. And it's not just that Christ, you know, didn't sin. So he was able to take our sins, but it's because he lived and mm -hmm. upheld all the righteous requirements of God that he was able to impart his righteousness on yeah. us. So like, and we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. So we're supposed to be rejecting sin, um, being sanctified, but then also doing the righteous requirements of God. Those are things, again, we should be imitating from Christ's life because that's essentially how we're saved. You know, because if we're if all we had was our sins removed from us, but we mm -hmm. weren't imparted righteousness, we still wouldn't get to heaven, right? Because we haven't upheld the righteous requirements of the law. And Christ did that, and we should be imitating him in that way. So not just isolating and keeping yourselves from sin. Okay, well, in keeping yourself from all people and isolating, you are sinning. Mm -hmm. You're not upholding that righteous requirement to go and be in the world and be a light to the world and mm -hmm. all those sorts of things that we're called to be. Yeah. Perfectly said. I thought of that exact thing. And 
Great minds. Glad you brought that up. Like. Yep. That's that's good to bring that up. Um, so our culture, I'm sure other people have noticed this, they, you know, find it like a good thing to isolate, to be antisocial, you know? It's a weird thing going on. But I've seen it in memes and stuff. Um, some of them say, like, I'm not leaving my house today. It's it's too people-y outside. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Like they joke about about things like that. Um I saw a bumper sticker since we moved here, and it said something like, "Like I hate humans, but I love my dog." I mean, we do have this culture. Animal that worship in America. Their dogs makes my skin crawl. I know. Oh my goodness. Well, what's with this mentality of just hating humanity? Um, and I don't know what the reason is for it. Like, there's something specific. Like, people just are irritated with other people. Like, people are stupid, or there's just this arrogance. Well, and the Bible speaks about this, right? Like, what benefit is it to love people who love you? Or what benefit True. is it to love people that are easy to love? Um, like it says, even, you know, what is it? Publicans and tax collectors do the same. Yeah. But love those who are difficult to love. Yeah. So it's a very unchristlike attitude to be like, oh, it's too peopley outside. Or I hate being around these people. Or they're so, what Why I, that attitude? Well, that's who you should be around. And that's who you should be. People are difficult. And, yeah. Yeah. And we're told to forgive one another. Yet God commands us to love one another and forgive one another, bearing with one another, which implies we're going to hurt each other. We're going to have to over and over again forgive each other. Um, I just think that right there is saying God's children are not perfect and they're going to sin against each other within the body of Christ. And I mean, that's just something that kind of is. It's good to know. So you don't beat yourself up and feel so guilty that you're not perfect and like, you know, we, we are gonna sin against one another. And it's it's hard thinking about that. You know, yeah, and in what ways they stuff. shouldn't be the serious sins of the world. They shouldn't be. Well, and that should help us knowing that we're gonna sin against each other should help us to accept other people's shortcomings and their yes. failings. Because yeah. Very few people, I think, would say, I know for a fact I will not sin against another person or cause them distress in any way. Like most people recognize, yeah, I know sometimes I can be difficult. I can say things I shouldn't say. I can do things. But, you know, hopefully the people know that I I mean well and they'll forgive me. Well, then you should have the same mindset. But we don't, right? We're so often expect people to treat us differently than we expect or than we treat them. You know, should I should expect- be forgiven because they know I made a mistake, but what they did, that was purposeful and right. it was harmful. Like, nah, they're human too. They're depraved too. They need it to be, should be saved, easier uh, forgiven just for the us. same. Yeah. And it should be easier for us to approach a brother or sister in Christ about sin than it is for somebody who's not a Christian because they know the forgiveness of Christ and they're more um, likely to have, you know, we can trust the Holy Spirit is in them too, to convict them and to have that gentle spirit, uh, to be humble. Um, we don't have well, to expect them to react like the world. Too, and we've talked about this before because there's kind of been a, a push now, especially since COVID, right? That, um, staying home online church is a perfectly acceptable way of going to church. And I think this is a sin of omission Yeah, where you're removing yourself from, uh, the fellowship of believers. And it's a sin too, because like, God has given you specific gifts um, 
to go and be a benefit to his body. So when you remove yourself from the church and try to live that life of faith in isolation, you know, that makes me think you're sinning by not um, offering your gifts to the body that God has given you. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, I can just sit at home and I can have my soul. It's a selfish mentality. Yeah. And you need to be involved and you need to go and get muddied up and dirtied up with fellow believers who are striving together. I guess if your so. sermon, if the sermon you're listening to online isn't stirring your heart to be active in the body of Christ, you're just, you are just getting like, what is it? It's not moving you to action and to love. That's not a pastor of yours. That's a content creator you enjoy. <laughs> Go to church and be led and shepherded by a pastor. Are you going to just sit home all alone and think about how spiritual, knowledgeable you are on things, but then be have your heart hardened? I've listened to 10 sermons today, and not one of them led me to engage with another Christian. <laughs> well, maybe listen Jesus to 11 then, pursued uh, people, yeah. demonstrated acts of love so and I think humility. this is a very good point. Yeah. I just wanted to read a little part here. I thought it was really good. He's quoting someone, sorry, Manton. Thomas Uh, Manton. Okay, sorry. Great Puritan preacher. Okay, I'm glad you knew that. All right. Manton observed how how sins of omission harden us more. He says, foul sins scourge the conscience with remorse and shame, but sins of omission uh, bring on insensibly slightness of hardness of heart. Moreover, sins of omission open the way for sins of commission to take place. Manton added, they lie open to gross sins that do not keep the heart tender by daily attendance upon God. Upon God, If a man do not that which is good, he will soon do that which is evil. Mm. He says, remember, David committed adultery with Bathsheba because of a sin of omission. Uh, he should have been fighting God's battles. So that's really interesting. Because if we're not, I do notice that, like, if I have some days that pass by where I'm not actively, I'm not doing the positive commands, I'm not in the word, I'm not praying. And those are very serious because they really conform our thinking. They, it changes our heart, our mind and attitude. It is, it's powerful. It really does. It's not just a, a mental thing, uh, reading the word. It's really, it really changes our hearts, a spiritual thing that goes on if we neglect that spiritual food that we need, it is going to cause us to not have self-control, to think selfishly, and to do the sins of commission, the negative. Yeah, and I think it just makes sense that because anytime you sin, you know, the more sin you give into, the more sin you're prone to give into. And again, we often don't think about sins of omission, but you're sinning, Mm -hmm. which again would lead you into being more prone to sin, yeah. whether that's sins of further omission or so sins of commission. <laughs> so I think that's a good point. Um, also another good point, just worth noting, anytime you're discussing a Puritan, if you're unsure of their name, just saying Thomas is a safe bet. They, <laughs> they weren't super creative, I guess, back in the 1700s. Oh, Everyone was Thomas. Um, but uh Do you have any final points here on the sins of omission before we get to our recommended listening? I want to say, yeah, there's some more I could, we could talk on, but I thought this right here was really good. Just, just discussing what sins of omission lead lead to, uh, lead to the sins of commission. But just James chapter four, verse 17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So if we just remember that, um, yeah. yeah. No, I think It'll that's a good us. point. Um, and it's the perfect time to end. Our candle just burned out. I just was us. like, 
Which was tells thinking, us what's it's that time smell? for the episode to end. I was thinking the kids were burning something like the house was on fire. <laughs> That's why we light the candle. We know when the candle goes out. It's probably time to start ending the episode. Yeah, but I was for a second was nervous. No, it's a good thing to end on. Um, James, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that. That's a sin of omission. So great book. Um, very much enjoyed going through it. I imagine it's going to be a book that you pick up often throughout our lives. Um, again, are we going to go over this with the kids? Yeah. Did you bring that up? It'll be something we go over with them. Mm -hmm. I think it's good. What teenage kid doesn't like having discussions of sin with their parents? Because of our culture and how sin is being called, you know, good, you know, just the evil is good. Good is evil. The culture we're in, and we really do need to define sin. So I think it's important that we really discuss it with our kids. Even as an adult, someone who's been a Christian for a while, this book was really eye-opening for me. It really was convicting. And I think, it, like you said, it's something we should read again and again, having it, the commentary on it, just all the scripture in there. Yeah. Um, it's important if we know how much we need it, how much more do our kids need it? You know, we need to... I mean, I think about all if I need it, how much worse do you poor saps need it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> i give you for that. Uh, no, it's great. It's a good book. I mean, again, 18 different ways of discussing the sins that we deal with. You know, a lot of times, you know, we just sort of think of sin and kind of broad stroke it, but we don't nug yeah. down into what the sins actually are and how they affect us and um, how we can conquer those Our culture, areas. The world does not think deeply like this. They don't like to contemplate the heart issues of all their actions. Which is why it's always funny when people push back on, you know, we love the Puritans here, the reformers here, we love the founders here. Because I think critical thinking was at a higher plane back uh-huh. then. Yeah. Um, because you had to, right? Yeah. You couldn't just Google for answers. You had to sit and ponder deeply um, these things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't just, you weren't just endlessly distracted, you know, go and read a random Sunday sermon from any Puritan. And it's like a 18 page document with doctrinal, you know, points that they're going to make and like mm. applications in six different ways. And it's like all from one verse. And you're like, holy, <laughs> but right. Like they weren't overly distracted the way ours. It's not that I'm not blaming us. We live in a different society today, but they just, I love that they're able to think so deeply about a specific issue, right? I mean, the Stephen Charnock, you know, the attributes and essence of God. You're know, like, you wrote two volumes on that? You're like, we just go, God is love. Move along. <laughs> I know. Like, that's true. Um, a different Dad. mindset. So we have a lot to learn from them. Wow. And this book was really great in that uh, vein there. So <clears throat> we'll end today with our Bible topic and, you know, in the sense of kind of looking for the final time, at least in the immediate future here on sin. We figured we'd go out in style here uh, with a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, the fainting warrior Mm. um, on Romans 7, our lifelong fight with sin. Mm. Um, You know, Charles Spurgeon never uh, disappoints. Of course, it's not Charles Spurgeon himself, but a a reenactment of that sermon. Uh, So go give that a listen. Have your soul renewed by the preaching of the word. I'm sure it'll happen. But otherwise, we will be back tomorrow with our discussion on Genesis chapter 6, which has been a blast to go through. Um, A great chapter. You know, me and Nikki were just talking about, I think, on our drive home. We're like, 
we don't talk enough about Noah for some reason. Like, very important man, but you don't get a lot of sermons of like, hey, in a wicked world, be Noah. You never really get that sermon, which is odd to me. Uh, so we'll be talking about Genesis 6 and uh, the wickedness of man, but um, the blessing that a single righteous man um, can bring to the world. So come check that out on Sunday. And of course, Monday through probably Thursday, we'll be doing the daily shorts on YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook, and Instagram. And then, of course, we'll be back next Saturday with whatever the world throws at us. So until then, hope you guys have a blessed week.